Well, good morning and welcome to Trending Now with Josh Arnold. I'm Rick Moore along with Josh. Our producer and engineer, of course, is Bill Proposky. And uh, this is a program heard most Fridays at 10 a.m. here on MSO News Sports. But this week, kind of a special uh, event here for us anyway, trying to pull off all these interviews. And so far, we've been able to um, get quite a few people on, uh, let's say, Monday, Tuesday, uh, maybe eight interviews. You had a bunch on Friday. And, and here we are on Wednesday. Good morning. Good morning. And... Um, Mix-up, the last-minute mix-up, so our first guest uh, for today is not going to be on today, but it will be on tomorrow, and that's Paul Guanci, the uh, City Council President for Beverly. Uh, but we have uh, Jose Encarnacion, who is a candidate for at-large in Lynn, uh, will be speaking with us. Uh, Joseph Cigaloni, who is a candidate for Ward 2, City Council in Gloucester. He's the son of or the late uh, John Gigaloni, who was uh, City Council for many years in Gloucester. And then Samantha uh, Watson, uh, candidate for the uh, Gloucester School Committee, will be us- with us uh, also today. Interesting how there are similarities in the different towns and cities of um, issues, I guess you'd say, uh, both at the at the at-large level and on the, on the ward level. Yeah, it, it, everywhere affordable housing is an issue. Everyone seems to be talking about it. Um, and if you're a community that has a uh, a school that's in the cycle for replacement, they're they're all having growing pains of trying to adapt to the state codes and uh, what the impact issues then become for that community. Of uh, well, if you have to consolidate or if you have to change your uh, configuration and make it uh, K2 or K4 or K5. Um, this doesn't happen in Gloucester. It's happening lots of other places too. And what's the deal there? They, in, instead of the local community uh, building for its own needs, they have to conform to outside uh, constraints. Yeah, the state, uh, the state says we'll give you some money, and we'll give it to you uh, really up front. We'll give it to you uh, time based. They used to pay it over the life of the bond issue, and now you know once the punch list is complete by the uh, architect or engineer that the uh, you get your money within the three, three or four years and you pay it off uh, but they it has to be whatever the state standards are now so uh, if uh, it's an elementary school they're going to tell you you have to have X number of uh, square feet for a kindergarten setting you have to have a cafeteria that's not a multi-purpose room you know separate from an auditorium. Back in 48, you could make the auditorium, the gymnasium, and the cafeteria the same room and just change it, you know, you don't, you, they're not going to let you do that now. So, uh, and where it gets tricky uh, for Gloucester and other places is you have, um, you have the uh, land restrictions. Uh, uh, you can't, they're going to tell you, in order to be an elementary school for 450 kids, children you have to have uh, this much property well that becomes a problem for some people because they're landlocked or mm-hmm. they don't they they they've built the they built the the city's built out around where the existing school site was or they they don't have that much room somewhere <clears throat> and uh then you get into busing and, and a whole myriad of other issues. I'm curious, too, as how the tax thing is, because it seems to me that the local taxpayer, every time you build a school, you actually get whacked twice because you're paying 
whatever the local rate is for the amount of uh, money that the city has to come up with. But in effect, you're also paying to the state, and the state gives you back a portion of, of, of your taxes, your income, your Massachusetts uh, uh, state income tax. I'm, I mean, that's the that's where the state gets its revenue from, yes? Uh, that's one of the revenue sources, yes. What are others? Well, the lottery is one. Uh, the... Uh, they get certainly federal funding. They get uh, all kinds of revenue. Well, again, federal funding. This is, excuse me for interrupting, I'm sorry, but but I love it when you say federal funding, or when people go with that. Again, it comes out of our pockets. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's taxpayer money. So it, it's. I'm just curious as, as to um, that, that whole cycle. I don't know enough about capitalism to figure that out, but it's just, um, it's always amazing. There's income tax, there's sales tax, there's... Uh, right, but uh, but when they when they say, you know, you're getting... You're getting a, a a grant. You're getting a yep. federal money or or, or uh, state money. Yeah. yeah, you are, but it comes out of taxpayer money, uh, taxpayers' pocket to begin with. Yeah. So you would think that um, the I, I'm guessing the entire country uh, is 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 deficit spending. I mean, you know, most people I know are deficit spenders. <clears throat> so I, you know, it's it just uh, how, how the system works. Um, I'd have to go back to school, I think, to actually understand it. Yeah, yeah, it's it's uh, it gets it's, it gets a little complicated. Well, they don't. You're not supposed to deficit spend uh, in cities and towns, and and, and that's why they have a, a fund accounting process. You have to be able to show I have X number of dollars coming in in revenue, and this is what my expense column. I mean, you have that certified by the Bureau of Accounts and the uh, Department of Revenue before you know for you to have a valid budget. And if you are out of whack. You know, you do quarterly reviews, and if we're not bringing in the revenues we said we were going to bring in, then you have to make cuts along the way, and that's uh, that's what's hard. If you if you under if you overestimate your revenues at a, at a municipal level, uh, it's a double cut in season mm-hmm. um, because you have to make up the gap uh, the gap room. So. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, anyway, the, the, that's that's neither here nor there, I guess. Uh, we, I got off got us off topic. But, that's okay. But basically, um, not hard for us to do. Yeah, I know. Um, we've got your your um, your candidates coming up, and you get down to to the local level and, and into the nitty gritty. And basically, you're talking about um, you're talking about streets. You're talking about the schools. You're talking about local housing, um, and then whatever specific issue there is for for an individual city or. Well, cities. I guess we're talking cities, not towns, right now. This is yep. all city council stuff. Okay. And and so, um, we're, where are we going first to Lynn? We're going to Lynn. And what have you found? Because you've talked to a couple of people from Lynn already. Do you do you recall what some of the um, the basic problems are? Uh, again, for affordable housing, of course. Well, Lynn Lynn was uh, a little unique from some of the other communities uh, in that uh, they had a a big deficit they had to fill. Uh, they were 14 million dollars in the red a couple of years ago and uh, they had to come up with a way to balance the budget. Now, they were able to get some money from the state on a loan basis, but the, the state said, you need to show us that you're going to have the revenue going forward and how that's going to work out. So they implemented a trash fee uh, and uh, to cut down on some of the uh, uh, the cost of, the, of trash. I think it's $7.5 million a year to do the trash uh, in Lynn. And so they were able to do that, and then some other things. Uh, the marijuana thing is uh, a potential revenue for mm-hmm. cities and towns. Uh, they put so much money down, and then they get a percentage of sales. Uh, 
I found the kosher marijuana question the other day on Friday. That was kind of interesting. Uh, that that was a, a really it was cool a new concept. I had never yeah, heard of it. Yeah, that I, was pretty cool. And kind of, and I'm, I'm not, I, I don't think you probably would want to bring it up today, but at some point, I'd like to know how the windmills in Gloucester are doing because um, they've been there for quite a while now. And originally, there was something out almost every month about how much money they were making or how much electricity they were generating for the city. And I haven't seen anything about that in a long, long time. So I'm wondering. Well, we'll have to we'll have to dig and find out that I've always said it would be fun to be driving up the highway and see one of just one of them going the other way. <laughs> yeah, I don't know about fun. That might be a little weird or scary. <laughs> All right. All right, Josh's first guest coming right up. You're listening to Trending Down with Josh Arnold. This is MSONewsports.com. Title Boxing, Route 114, Danvers, a friendly, challenging environment. Title Boxing is a great place to come for exercise, uh, to help yourself get into shape, meet some new people, have a good time while you're working out, lift some weights, meet some friends that will probably be with you for a long time because it's like a family environment here. The instructors are all great. You can try it out a few times. We have boxing, kickboxing, and MMA. You actually get to come in and take the first class free. You can try it out probably about two or three times before you can actually make a decision. Title Boxing, Danvers. Danvers. Looking to run up the score on your savings? Open a CD savings or money market account at Institution for Savings. Fall's the perfect time to earn funds for your future, and our rates are among the best. Stop by one of our offices in Amesbury, Beverly, Boxford, Gloucester, Hamilton, Ipswich, Middleton, Newburyport, Rockport, Rowley, Salem, Salisbury, and Topsfield. Or visit us online at institutionforsavings.com, member FDIC, DIF. Cherry Farm Creamery wishes all the teams and players the best of luck this fall. Check out the fall ice cream flavors now available. Pumpkin, caramel, apple. Cherry Farm offers 20% off to kids in uniforms. Enjoy the taste of summer all year round at Cherry Farm Creamery, Conant Street, Danvers. The North Shore is listening to MSONewsports.com and our great selection of podcasts. Hi, this is Phil Stacy, Executive Sports Editor at the Salem News. Make sure to listen to our podcast every week with the sports writers from the Salem News, including Matt Williams, Nick Giannino, and myself. MSO News Sports, connecting you to the North Shore. Welcome back to Trending Now with Josh Arnold. Our uh, next guest is from the city of Lynn, candidate for city council at large, Jose Encarnacion. Jose, welcome to the program. Thank you very much, Josh. Thank you for having me in your in your show. Ray, we usually start in and ask the uh, folks to give us a three or four minute bio, and then we can get into some questions about what's going on in the election in Lynn. Yes, definitely. Um, how would how would you like me to start? Just give us a little bio. Tell us about yourself, and then we can try some questions after that. All right. Yes. Well, as you said, uh, my name is Jose Encarnacion. I immigrated to the United States as a teenager, uh, which has made me a, great, a gratified resident of this wonderful city since 1983. Uh, I am the seventh of 13 great brothers and sisters, a proud father of five children. I am married to my lovely wife, uh, Jesenia Carnacion. Uh, my family owns two well-known uh, businesses in the heart of downtown. Uh, one of the, one of their businesses, uh, Rincón Macorizano, uh, Palace Art of Music, and now my sister opened a new business. So my my family has contributed a lot to the to the city. 
my children, all my four children went to public school here. And then I went to um, um, to um, UMass Boston, where I graduated um, with a Bachelor of Science in, in Economics in 2002. And, um, yeah, and I've been here since uh, 1983. Great. Well, we, when we look at Lynn, I know that you... Uh, Lynn has had a fiscal crisis in the past. They had a deficit for uh, a period of time, and the state intervened and told them uh, they could give them some money, but they had to come up with some better revenue. Tell us about uh, how that's going and uh, uh, where, where, uh, what, what thoughts you have on economic development for, for the city of Lynn. Well, I, I think that it's a crisis that's been going on in the, in the city of Lynn, and um, um, one of the things is that I think when I get elected, I will, uh, I will ask for, I will request a complete audit of the city budget uh, to find solution to that crisis. I think if we work together, um, we can uh, solve that situation. I know they've been doing a, a good job in trying to, um, to balance the budget, uh, so I have to give credit for that. So I think they've been doing a a good job in that, and I think we need to do a lot more to um, to balance to balance that that uh, that budget. That's why I say that I will uh, request a complete audit of the city budget. What uh, what about uh, attracting new uh, businesses and uh, 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 development uh, to Lynn as a way of one addressing the housing shortage and uh, to expand the city's tax base? What what, what are your thoughts there? But definitely, yes. I think uh, we need to to attract businesses into the city. Um, the city needs to have a, like policy um, favorable to attract businesses, and and we need to uh, to address uh, to address that. And I think we should, uh, if we bring more businesses, uh, that will bring uh, more money to the city, and and will uh, employ more um, uh, workers in, around the city. So I think that attracting businesses will be a great thing, and and, and that's one one thing that I, I will focus and to um, to to look forward to to try to bring more businesses, um, especially you know like for example we don't have here in Lynn, all around um, Rivia and, and Sogas they have like hotels um, which we are only 15 to 20 minutes from the airport. And I think uh, there's one thing that we should bring. Uh, we, we should we should talk to um, developers to to bring more businesses into the into the city of Lynn. Good. Now you mentioned when we talked uh, before in preparation of the show uh, uh, issues with violence and public safety and uh, the need for more law enforcement. Tell us about that, for, if you will. Yes, definitely. Um, we have this an issue. Um, th there is a big concern in the community for public safety. Uh, uh, people are, you know, the residents are very worried about all the shootings that have been going on lately in the city of Lynn. And I think uh, we need to um, focus on that. Uh, public safety should be our, our, our main priority. And I think we need more police officers but we need more police officers that reflect what the community is today. Uh, we have a very diverse community in the city of Lynn, but that diversity, it doesn't reflect in the, 
and the police uh, enforcement. So we need, I mean, they recently, they, um, they hired nine police officers. So um, most of them um, white, which, are, you know, it's okay, but we, we need to, to, to hire more police officers that reflect the diversity of the city. Um, and also, I think we need to bring back community uh, policing, uh, police that go around the community and talk to the people um, to patrol in our city. Okay. And I think that will help a lot with the, with the, with the violence and, and the shooting around the city. Right. Housing crisis uh, in lots of places. Lynn is no exception to that. What, uh, what do you see there, and, and how do you, uh, uh, w- what steps can uh, folks take to uh, uh, ensure more affordable housing? Well, yes, uh, that, that's another issue that's going on, uh, and, and Lynn is a uh, is a concern of the of the of the community because, uh, like, uh, you know, rent has been going um, out of control, and uh, I think we need more affordable housing. Um, one of the things that I would propose once I get elected is uh, right here in Lynn, they are building uh, a lot of. Um, apartments, a lot of buildings. So one of the things that I want to propose is that the, um, the, the zoning where they can, um, you know, the, the inclusionary zoning to provide affordable housing, that those um, big uh, developers um, separate uh, at least 20 to 20% of those units for low-income family. And, and if... Uh uh, we're up to you. Would you have that percentage go up so there's more affordable housing than 20%? Yes, yes. yes. With, uh, with that, um, and, bring, and bring, you know, including bringing more um, uh, more jobs to the city with high-paying jobs, uh, also those um, those units, I would propose, once I get a, a letter, I would propose that the inclusionary zoning to provide affordable housing up to that they can, that, that the developers, I agree that they invest in the city, but not with a compromise, uh, not without a compromise to, um, for something to, um, to benefit the, the residents of the city of Lynn. So I think it should be that 20 to 20 25% of those units reserved for low income family. Is the uh, what about traffic in Lynn and uh, transportation? Is there uh, a sense that uh, uh, the city could use more public transportation? And, and what, it, what 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 are your thoughts on that? Well, I, I think yes. Uh, you know, lately um, th- there's been an issue that is aff- that, that is affecting the resident. Um, is that they have. Um, they have uh, changed uh, some routes, and they have taken some routes uh, away. I don't think that's the that's a, that's the solution. I, we need more routes around the city. Um, and something that I would agree agree is that we need to work harder to see if we can bring um, the blue line to the city of Lynn, which it will help a lot to bring more people to Lynn. And, and we'll have the, the resident of the city of Lynn because uh, the transportation is a, 
it's a big issue right now, and I think that will help a lot. What else are the uh, any other issues that you think are important that uh, that you're hearing about as you go door to door or out on the campaign trail? Well, yes, I've been going going through door to door. Those are the the issues, the more important issues that people are um, talking about. And I think uh, we need to work together. If we work together, we can make Lynn a better place for for our children, a better place to for, to retire right here. But so that way, our children doesn't have to go away. The resident doesn't have to go um, away from the city. I think um, we should work a lot on um, like for investors when when the developers come to the city of Lynn. Um, we need to work on parking around the downtown of Sidelin. We need to work on uh, on safety. One of the things that I'm that I'm thinking and I'm doing search on it is on to put camera around the downtown to so people can feel um, uh, a sense of, of of safety when they walk around uh, around the downtown and the city of Lynn. And that way, uh, we can attract. Uh, tourism to the city of Lynn and people to come from the outside. Great. Well, I want to thank you for being a guest on uh, Trending Now with Josh Arnold. Uh, we certainly wish you the best in, uh, success uh, in your campaign for city councilor in Lynn. Well, uh, thank you very much for having me today, George Arnold. Uh, I really appreciate it. And I would call all the voters the opportunity to um, uh, to vote for me, please, because I want to be part of the good things that are going on in Lynn. And I bring in my expertise of someone who has been a highly, highly engaged in politics, national and international. Great. So um, thank you so much for having me and your show. Good. Take care. Have a good day. Thank you. Okay. Vote number seven on November 5th. Start the fall season with a winning mortgage rate from your hometown team. Whether you are thinking about buying a new home or condo or refinancing your existing one, our loan rates are among the lowest anywhere. Check out our full menu of rates and terms and apply online 24-7 at institutionforsavingsloans.com. Institutionforsavings.com, member FDIC, DIF, equal housing lender. Harrington Trophy has been rewarding the North Shore for over 30 years with quality custom awards, screen printing, embroidery, and more. We pride our family-owned business on our exceptional customer service and quality products for the right price. Custom t-shirts, sweatshirts, warm-up suits, hats, along with the area's top trophies, plaques, glass awards, we are the one-stop shop for end-of-the-year banquets or advertising your small business through apparel. Come see us at Harrington Trophy, Chestnut Street, Lynn, or HarringtonTrophy.com. You'll love the Bradford Tavern in Rowley as they feature a menu to please everyone. Start your meal with your choice from a dozen delicious appetizers. There are also soups and fresh salads. Dinner selections include burgers, sirloin tips, chicken parmesan, chicken piccata, and then there's seafood, clams, haddocks, salmon, lobsters, and fish tacos. Plus a wide selection of sandwiches and wraps. Let the Bradford Tavern host your events or functions set in unique spaces. Open Six days a week, Tuesday through Sunday. The Bradford Tavern, Route 133 Rowley and BradfordTavern.com. The North Shore is listening to MSONewsports.com and our great selection of podcasts. Hi, this is Phil Stacy, Executive Sports Editor of the Salem News. Make sure to listen to our podcast every week. 
with the sports writers from the Salem News, including Matt Williams, Nick Giannino, and myself. MSO News Sports, connecting you to the North Shore. Welcome back to Trending Now with Josh Arnold. Our next guest is Joseph Jegaloni, who is the candidate for Ward 2 City Council in Gloucester. Joe, welcome to the program. Thanks, Josh. Thanks for having me on today. Well, we usually start out and ask folks to uh, give us a, a three or four minute bio. So why don't you do that and then we can talk about some of the issues in Gloucester. Sure, I'd be happy to. Well, uh, my name is Joe Jegaloni, candidate for Ward 2 City Council. I'm a lifelong Gloucester resident, all of it here in Ward 2 downtown. Uh, my lovely wife, Sophie, and I both live downtown with our pugs, Oscar and Baby. Uh, I'm a graduate of Gloucester High School. I went on to Salem State, where I earned a degree in political science, and I minored in music. I currently work at Shaw's and Beverly as a receiver. I am also the chair of the Downtown Development Commission and a former War II chair of the Gloucester Democratic City Committee. Uh, I've been involved in city issues and politics very long time. Uh, some of you might remember my dad, John Gigoloni, who's a longtime city councilor. But he, even before his campaigns, uh, I went with him when he campaigned for people like Nick Mavrulis and Bruce Toby, John Bell, and my cousin Amarga Ferranti got involved and in, in become the state rep and so working on her campaigns. Then I decided to jump in the race and I've had an Two unsuccessful campaigns, uh, one at large, uh, one for Ward 2. But it, it's obviously no fun to lose, but I've, I've learned each time I've, I've been able to build on what I've learned, both how things work and don't work in city politics, um, just getting out and meeting people and seeing what's on their minds and what their concerns and issues are, because Ward 2 counselors, that's, that's the bread and butter. They're out there to serve the needs of the people. Right. So uh, the issues in Gloucester um, are many. Uh, I know that uh, uh, one of the issues has to do with the uh, proposed new school. Um, and, and while that's not a decision the city council makes, there are a lot of impact issues uh, that, that are around that. Um, I know it's come up on the campaign trail. Tell us uh, your sense of, of where that is and, and what some of the issues uh, the community is going to have to wrestle with going forward? Absolutely, and uh, the school building committee had an unenviable uh, job to do, and I wouldn't want that myself. And I know they did the best they could with it. Uh, the, the two sites they came came down with, I, I don't think either one of them is really ideal for a school of that size. I, I know that's what they had to work with, so that's what we have. Um, they, they the students definitely deserve a world class. Uh, building to have to be taught in uh, and even so uh, like it's a safety issue as well I mean the East Gloucester school it's, it's not safe to, to teach in there uh, my sister is a teacher at the veteran school she teaches uh, second grade so I know how hard she works and how hard the other teachers and staff work and uh, they, they have to do a lot of things just to be able to teach a lot of workarounds and so they, they deserve a they deserve a new school and they need a new school. Now that's going to bring some issues into the neighborhood because the neighborhood is, is not designed for a school that size. I don't think you have Webster Street and you have Flint Street are now going to be 
you know, clogged with a lot of extra traffic of, you know, people going back and forth to bring their kids and events at the schools and whatnot. And Eastern Ave, you have the, the, uh, the traffic lights are right there. So I, I see that traffic is probably going to be the biggest, uh, burden on the, on the residents in the area when, when and if the school actually, you know, goes through. And traffic is probably the first. And the second issue is Veterans has Mato's Field right next door. Uh, Patty Amro and her group, uh, Light Up Mato's Field did a tremendous job and spent a lot of time, uh, getting that field to, into the condition it is now and getting money, a, a lot of money for the lights. And, you know, if the school goes in there, now they're going to be, uh, moved away to probably the Green Street Field. I, I'm glad that it, it won't be gone, but that's a lot of work. And I know that they, they feel a little kicked to the stomach if that happens. And the, uh, you might bring up a good point, and that is that when those schools were built, they were built for a much smaller population. And the world changed since then. It's not 1954 and 57 when Beeman and, uh, and uh, Veterans were built. It's not 48 and 49 when S- uh, East Gloucester and West Parish were built. Um, and in those days, a lot of the kids walked to school, and that doesn't happen so much anymore. It's, it's If you don't qualify to get a bus to school, usually the parents are going to be dropping the children off. And when you take the number of cars that are going to go to either site and double it, it sounds like it's going to be a, you know, just short of a nightmare. Sure. I'm glad you brought up the busing aspect because, and, and I wouldn't know this except for going to the uh, school committee debates, but most people, uh, I should, most people don't, most of the students don't take the bus, even the ones that are eligible. Yeah. It's usually the parents bring them or they carpool or however. Um, I think that's going to be a, a key component to try to cut down on the traffic because find A, find out why they don't take the bus, and B, how do you get them to take the bus, and maybe a C, let's find out, you know, eligibility, let's make that easier so everybody can take the bus. Yeah. Well, and then you get to look at, you know, what, what do you do, what is your uh, capital improvements plan in terms of, uh, roads and sidewalks, and and uh, if you're going to have that much more traffic coming, how are they going to get there, and uh, who are the walkers going to be, and uh, what what do we have to do there? So a lot of a lot of peripheral issues uh, to to wrestle with. One issue that we've talked about on this show almost every day, uh, in and not just in Gloucester, in every city, and that's affordable housing, uh, a lack of uh, affordable housing. And, and you, you and I both grew up in this town. Um, and as we, I mean, I'm much older than you are, but uh, as we uh, move along in age, uh, uh, you'd like to be able to stay here. And uh, you have pretty high rents you want to get a you want to rent an apartment in Gloucester it's it's tough first and last and and a security deposit and and you're out five grand uh and uh, a lot of times or or or, you know maybe less than that but uh uh on the other hand uh uh, if you're down if you you know own a home and you want to downsize uh, as you get older in life you may not be able to afford to live in Gloucester um, what, 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 tell us about what you hear and see uh, in the campaign trail of, about affordable housing issues and, and what can be done. Sure. Everything you just said, things are being heard on the trail. 
Um, th- this affordable housing is obviously important for many reasons. You want residents to be able to stay here. You want our seniors that you want them to be able to can continue to live here, even though they may need to downsize. You want to, if you want to bring more business into the city, you need a place for them people to live. Um, it's one of those things. It's one of those issues. We're not going to solve it and be done with it and move on to the next thing. We're always going to have to be working on it, and that may be a good thing in, in a way. Um, I think we're doing some good things. The uh, Fuller School Project is going to add another 30 units of affordable housing. Uh, the Cameron's Project, it's good to see they finally got their st- their state money in place. So hopefully soon we'll start seeing some um, building going on there. I think once the YMCA moves to its locate new location, there's a possibility that the old location on Middle Street may get some affordable housing units in there. Um, there's all kinds of other things we can do as far as helping uh, homeowners that may have apartments that don't meet code, help them get up to code, maybe uh, some zoning changes that can be made, some permitting issues that can be changed. Um, the city council just adopted this new fee for short-term renting, uh, like, say, an Airbnb situation where there's a 3% charge. Uh, a lot of people are up in arms on that because they think that the homeowner is, is going to be assessed that 3% fee, but that's actually whoever the renter is is going to pay that fee. And that money goes to either infrastructure or affordable housing, two things that we could use a lot more funding for. So I think we're doing some good things. It's going to take some more um, out-of-the-box thinking, perhaps, and working together, and I think we're, we're doing well. What uh, um, One of the issues that comes up uh, a lot, and uh, <clears throat> every once in a while someone dusts it off and... and uh, uh, and that's the <clears throat> excuse me the issue of uh, secondary treatment facility in Gloucester. Now we have a primary, and uh, Gloucester has been fortunate enough to uh, um, keep up with the technology so that what other coastal communities have in the way of primary and secondary treatment plants uh, exists within our to to some level exists within our primary system. Um, so we haven't had to. Uh, at a secondary system, but the we're one of the few communities on the eastern uh, seaboard that doesn't have a secondary treatment facility, and and the expectation is that that's not going to last forever. Um, sure. What 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 is that? Uh, how how imminent is that uh, financial crisis looming? People estimate it to be a hundred million dollars to build a secondary treatment p- facility. What does that do for the uh, for the debt service and the budget and, and everything else? Sure. Uh, it seems we may be living on borrowed time. We've been getting waivers to not have to have the secondary treatment plant, but it looks like we may be forced to do that in the very near future. And like you said, this could be a hundred-plus million-dollar project. Uh, that kind of looms over everything. Uh, Say we get this school built, with you know, then we're going to be looking at other schools need repair or replacement as well. Uh, how are we going to afford that? And um, any any capital project you want to do is now going to be affected if if we're made to build a secondary treatment plant. Uh, people talk. People say they want a public safety building. Well, you know, you kind of have to say say what do we have money for? And unfortunately, that's that's where we are. If we need to build it, we need to build it, and then we'll have to 
Well, you need a, you need a new central fire station, you, and you've needed it for a number of years. Sure. And uh, somehow, <clears throat> when the when the merry-go-round stops, uh, and uh, and you decide, and the they come up with a solution for the schools. I suppose that opens up some spaces or potential spaces to bring back some of the uh, uh, city offices uh, that are that you're renting space for, whether it's Blackburn or down in uh, Pond Road. Uh, those folks need to come back under uh, a city-owned building, but maybe there's a, a new complex that gets built that houses those folks or... Uh, uh, becomes uh, a place or a way to uh, facilitate a new uh, public safety station as well. Sure, and I, I know I've spoken to the firemen, and uh, they absolutely could use you know a new central fire station. But you also have to be careful about building somewhere other than where it is now, because where they are now it is perfect location for the kind of services they do. Uh, most of their calls are within like fifteen, you know. I'm not sure of the, the exact um, mileage, but it's it's very close to where they are now. So it's, it's the central uh, fire location is um, ideal for the kinds of things they do. So yes, they could a nice new building would be would be great, but you have to be careful where you put it and consult with them of well, what their needs are. Yeah. Well, that's uh, what else you hearing, Joe, on the campaign trail. Uh, you know, you hear lots of different issues. What What do you? Uh, I know traffic and congestion's an issue. Sure, uh, yeah, everybody wants to you know complain about traffic, which is understandable. Um, actually, so the four school project is steaming along. It kind of makes me sad when I see four school being torn down. Being a former student, there, but that's where we are, and and. Uh, I think the neighborhoods like Trask Street and Dodge Street are all getting ready for some uh, infrastructure uh, improvements to be made, and so they're going to be dealing with a lot of extra traffic woes. And as a ward councilor, you, that's things kind of things you need to deal with. You, you're going to get calls saying they can't get out of the driveway, and or there's you know equipment blocking their street, and so you know look you know that's kind of thing you have to work with the residents to you know overcome those burdens. Great. Well, I want to thank you for being a guest on Trending Now with Josh Arnold. Certainly wish you the greatest success uh, in your campaign for Ward 2 City Councilor in Gloucester. And uh, we'll have to have you back uh, uh, later on in the year and, and uh, let us know how you made out and chat about some of these issues again. Absolutely, Josh. I thank you for being there. I thank you for your listeners. And I ask for your vote on November 5th, second on the ballot, but you're all fresh in my heart. Thanks, Joe. Take care. Good luck. Thank you. Title Boxing, Route 114, Danvers. A friendly, challenging environment. Title Boxing is a great place to come for exercise, uh, to help yourself get into shape, meet some new people, have a good time while you're working out, lift some weights, meet some friends that will probably be with you for a long time because it's like a family environment here. The instructors are all great. You can try it out a few times. We have boxing, kickboxing, and MMA. You actually get to come in and take the first class free. You can try it out probably about two or three times before you can actually make a decision. Title Boxing. Danvers. Looking to run up the score on your savings? Open a CD savings or money market account at Institution for Savings. Fall's the perfect time to earn funds for your future, and our rates are among the best. 
Stop by one of our offices in Amesbury, Beverly, Boxford, Gloucester, Hamilton, Ipswich, Middleton, Newburyport, Rockport, Rowley, Salem, Salisbury, and Topsfield. Or visit us online at institutionforsavings.com, member FDIC, DIF. Cherry Farm Creamery wishes all the teams and players the best of luck this fall. Check out the fall ice cream flavors now available. Pumpkin, caramel, apple, Cherry Farm offers 20% off to kids in uniforms. Enjoy the taste of summer all year round at Cherry Farm Creamery, Conant Street, Danvers. The North Shore is listening to MSONewsports.com and our great selection of podcasts. Hi, this is Phil Stacy, Executive Sports Editor at the Salem News. Make sure to listen to our podcast every week with the sports writers from the Salem News, including Matt Williams, Nick Giannino, and myself. MSO News Sports, connecting you to the North Shore. I'm Bob Gillis, president of Cape Ann Savings Bank, serving the Cape Ann community with stability and commitment for over 170 years. Since 1846, our customers have relied on our local bank service and big bank benefits. Stop by our offices or call to talk about your banking needs at 978-283-0246. Built on community, capeansavings.bank. Member FDIC, member DIF, equal housing lender. Gloucester's Walter Wilkins Insurance Agency is teaming up with Columbia Insurance to deliver a full line of products, personal home and auto policies, as well as a full line of commercial coverage for business owners, including commercial property and commercial vehicle coverage. Wilkins partners with respected companies such as Plymouth Rock, Quincy Mutual, Commerce, and Safeco. For City of Gloucester employees, there are discounts on auto and home policies. Wilkins Insurance is located at 186 Main Street, Gloucester. Now partnering with Columbia Insurance, serving the North Shore. Welcome back to Trending Now with Josh Arnold. Our next guest is Samantha Watson, who uh, is a candidate for the Gloucester School Committee. And like our last uh, guest, uh, Joe Gigaloni was the son of a former city councilor. Samantha is the daughter of a former school committee member, Danette Verga. Uh, welcome to the program, Samantha. Thanks, Josh. Happy to be here. Uh, so we usually start in with uh, and ask folks to give us a uh, uh, three or four minute bio. Why don't you start there, and then we can get into some questions about the, the schools. Sure, no problem. Happy to do so. So um, I am um, a resident of Gloucester. I have been for most of my life. Um, my, both my husband and I grew up in Gloucester and were educated in the public school system here. Currently, we live in the Magnolia neighborhood, and we have two daughters who are not currently in the system yet. We have a four-year-old and a one-and-a-half-year-old, um, and I'm a licensed social worker. Most of my work has been um, in this community. I worked first as a social worker for Pathways for Children in the after-school program and in the teen parent program, and then later I um, transitioned to um, sorry, uh, children, friend, and family um, as an in-home family therapist, uh, working with high-risk youth and their families, doing um, in-home sessions for, you know, two to three-hour um, sessions a week, uh, working with both the kiddos and uh, their parents. So um, now I'm working for per diem at the hospital doing medical social work um, and running for school committee. 
Great. Now, we talked before the show and uh, about some of the issues of, of impacting schools, and, and uh, one of the things you talked about was uh, the need for a broader uh, sense of youthful uh, parental involvement. Tell us about that a little bit. Sure. Um, so from my perspective, going to meetings, I don't notice a lot of young parents um, in in the audience, and I think that speaks to sort of a couple different issues. It's hard to access 7 o'clock meetings as a young parent. You know, you need to navigate child care, um, dinner time, bedtime. You know, it's, it's a difficult time to get to a meeting. Um, but I also not- noticed that when, when the school committee is taking community input for projects, many of the people who are speaking don't have kids in the system. And so I think that's really important to know because what I hear in the community is a very different um, opinion than what's sort of being talked about at the meetings. And really sort of my goal, if I get elected, is to try to involve young parents um, in sort of creative ways. I think we could have a much better social media presence. Um, Similarly to, to the debates, we have sort of live streaming of debates, and I know that young parents are accessing that. I've talked to many young parents who are like, I'm so happy that I can watch the debates live or click on it later after bedtime. Um, so I think there's there's ways that we can involve young parents to make sure that their voices are being heard without relying on them coming to, to the meetings. I think we just sort of have to think outside the box a little bit. Um, and I think it helps to have school committee members who are accessing those people on a regular basis. You know, I'm, I hang out with many young parents, and I, I, I'm able to hear about what's going on in the schools a little bit more regularly and more organically just through conversations with my peers. Great. And you, you mentioned something, too, that struck me as, 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 as beneficial, and that was uh, the need for uh, a broader foreign language component to how city does its business um that uh that we have lots of children who attend uh, veterans and other schools that uh, english is not their first language so it it drives the case should we be offering uh a city and school website in more than one language should the phone systems in city hall or schools have more than one language should meetings uh, have options so people can uh, address it? Uh, you know, I know in, in Lynn they have 85 different languages in in spoken in the schools. So Gloucester isn't where Lynn is, but it's uh, but it, we are becoming a more diverse population. How do we adjust to address that? Sure, I think it's a really important question. Um, I think for Gloucester it's a, a sort of a new transition. I think the um, I don't know the exact numbers, but when I spoke to the veterans principal, Matt Fusco, you know, he said, I think five to ten, uh, five years ago, we had maybe um, ten kids um, who were English language learners, and now at veterans, they have 53. So, you know, the population is growing quickly, and I think the school committee is doing their best to sort of to um, address the changing needs as they're happening in such a quick way. But I think that there are sort of um, easy fixes that we can um, implement to make families feel uh, more connected to the schools. And what we talked about yesterday was, you know, at the hospital we have iPads um, that 
we can access to do on-site translation, video translators, and it allows for sort of a flexible, seamless conversation um, without the need of a, a live person uh, in the room. And I think there, there are sort of creative ways that we can help families feel more connected. And yes, I do think it would be helpful to have uh, once a month, once a year, twice a year meetings um, in in different languages so that we can sort of understand what's happening in, in the communities that um, are not necessarily um, being accessed on a regular basis. Um, and I do think obviously the the website needs to be addressed and i i know that that veterans does a really good job in particular of sending home information in other languages but if families need to be able to access a website or find out more information i don't know if it's um easily accessed in another language so i think it would be helpful for us to sort of look into that a little bit more what 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 is uh, tell us about uh the need uh, uh for trauma-sensitive schools and trauma-sensitive staff? Sure. So as a social worker, I do think that um, it's a perspective that's been missing on the school committee. As far as I know, nobody's have a, had a mental health background on the school committee ever, um, and nobody's really corrected me on that. So I'm not sure if that's exactly true, but that's my um, impression. And so what I really would like to focus on is recognizing that Adverse childhood experiences impact health behaviors in the schools. And so I think we really do need to have a clear roadmap, a district-wide approach to deal with toxic stress in our schools. Um, and, and what that means is every educator should be trained and recognizes signs and symptoms of trauma. This will help reduce unnecessary and ineffective punitive actions and build trust between students and teachers. And in addition to that, it, it increases resiliency among teachers and staff. Um, and so when we talk about adverse childhood experiences, the CDC sort of defines that as sexual, physical, and emotional abuse, physical or emotional neglect, growing up in a household where a parent is mentally ill, substance-dependent, incarcerated, or parental separation or divorce. So when you sort of look at that, um, that definition and you think about our population, there are kids who are impacted by not just one, many of those. And so I think we really do need to do a better job of making sure that we are, are not just saying to kids, why are you doing that? What's wrong with you? The question really should be, what happened to you? And how can we make sure that you feel safe um, in this building? And I think that's really what needs to happen is trauma sensitive is, is a, a focus on relationship building so that, um, kids aren't feeling disconnected from, from our school system. Um, and I don't think it's enough to just have one school, veterans, um, being trauma-sensitive. I think the entire district needs to really um, engage there. So, for example, our district has really high absenteeism. Um, and so I think we need to look at what's happening. Why are they not getting to school? And trauma is one of those things that impacts absenteeism. And my goal would be so that every kid feels like, oh, if I miss school, I'm going to be missed. Not because if I miss school, I'm going to have a consequence, right? So there's a difference. I want our kids to feel missed and loved in our school. And not that they don't, but, you know, if, if a teacher sort of recognizes uh, a maladaptive behavior in the classroom as 
um, for, as what it is, right? Something that's happening outside of the building, not necessarily have anything to do with teaching or the, the um, even what's happening in that day. It had some, probably has nothing to do with, um, with what's happening in the moment. And I think the more that teachers can say, hey, I'm not going to take this personally. I'm going to try to help this kid feel safe. Um, the more effective our teaching strategies will be. Great. Now, we talked a little bit off uh, in preparation for the interview with uh, about uh, the school building project, which has uh, got a lot of uh, attention in this election. Um, and there are a lot of uh, peripheral issues uh, or ancillary issues uh, that accompany uh, uh, a new school built, being built. Uh, do you want to weigh in on it and just share some of what you're hearing on the campaign trail about about what the process has been and, and what it might be going forward? Sure. Um, you know, full disclosure, I am in support of the Consolidated Project. Um, like I said to you yesterday, I'm a, a Fuller kid, so when I went to Fuller, there was probably about 800 to 850 kids there. So um, from my perspective, 440 kids is not too big. Um, I do sort of think it checks the box still as a neighborhood school because um, 60% of um, the kids who currently uh, will be attending um, the veterans site building um, is closer to veterans than it is East Gloucester. So I do think, you know, it's still accessible to families. Um, I know that the site is a big debate. I will say, though, that the debate on site really shouldn't undermine the need for new school buildings. And, um, and I'm really taking the input from staff in the buildings as really what's important. When I hear teachers talk about how impactful it is to have um, outdated school buildings, that's really what um, is important to me. You know, I'm running for school committee because I care about what's going on in, in the schools. And I do realize that the site um, is always going to be a debate because we live in a highly or densely populated area. Um, and there's not necessarily a huge space of land that, um, or anymore. There, there has been in the past, but um, there's not a site anymore that um, that would really uh, tick all the boxes. Yeah, the problem. Um, the, the problem really is that uh, as we progress in time, the uh, the blueprint of what you need for a school, if you're going to qualify for state money, increases. And it puts communities in a tough spot because those places that uh, were fond of or adopted a neighborhood school plan are almost boxed out of the equation because they won't have the, the sufficient land left to to rebuild or uh, consolidate to get to make one school. And this, this isn't the only community going through it. Amesbury's going through it. Other communities in the state are going through it. Uh, and it's and it's a difficult solution. Maybe it may it, it's going to take some rethinking at the state level uh, on uh, how much money they allocate for school building projects and 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 what those requirements are, or whether or not uh, they can. Uh, provide some uh, intermediary steps or uh, ways to accommodate the individual communities. 
Yeah, I would agree with that. But I will say, though, that, you know, I've heard the argument that West Parish is a neighborhood school, and it's certainly not a neighborhood school for um, for my neighborhood, you know, and my, that's where my kids will go. There's no way my kids would be able to walk to West Parish. Right. So, I, you know, I think we maybe as a community also need to take a step back and um, and sort of look at sort of the changing needs and... Um, and for me, what's important is that my kids sort of have access to um, their neighborhood. Like we access sort of the, the assets directly in in our within walking distance to um, where we live, and make sure that we're connected to neighbors. And you know, even just getting on the bus is a way to connect with your neighbors, right? So when Mike walks up the street and waits at the bus stop, they're going to meet neighborhood kids. And so I, I do think we need to sort of take a step back and. And realize that not everybody can walk to school. That's not necessarily um, an educational requirement. No, it isn't. And, and, nope. and the problem, too, is that um, a lot of kids uh, who uh, could walk to school don't. They, their parents yep. drive them. If, they, if they're yep. not bus eligible and that drives the traffic issue, uh, so there's a, there's a lot of – you mentioned that you attended Fuller School and uh, – you know, I, you attended there probably back when I worked in the school system, and that at one time was the best physical plant the city owned uh, among all schools, including the high school. And uh, so when your experience there, uh, you had a gymnasium, you had a separate cafeteria, you had a separate auditorium, you had an auxiliary gym, you had a beautiful library, you had a technology mm-hmm. center, you had language learning labs, you had music uh, amphitheaters um, because it had previously been a high school and a middle school or a junior high uh, it had all of those amenities um, you go to another school and the cafeteria the gymnasium the auditorium are all the same room uh, and and the uh, the art room is a cart that moves from classroom to classroom and it doesn't feel like it's the same experience so I understand why you know as as things change you want to be able to have a same or like experience from one community, one not only community to community, but one uh, area to another. Whether it's one, yeah. one, two, four, or five, uh, and uh, it shouldn't it shouldn't be that inconsistent across the spectrum. Like, well, if you want to go to a good school, you have to live in this community, this part of the town. If you want to go to another school, you know, it shouldn't be that way, and and uh, we should be more standardized so i understand i agree i mean i look at that as sort of opportunity gaps right so when you walk into it's not necessarily um achievement gaps it's an opportunity gap so what's what do the kids at west parish have access to that say plum cove doesn't if plum cove has a has a cafeteria a library and a gymnasium shared what opportunities are they missing if you know Beeman gets art on a cart, they're absolutely not having the same experience um, as the kids who have a full art room. Yeah. And so, and, and in addition to that, you know, you have social workers and school psychologists sharing spaces, and you have almost no um, privacy, which is a huge issue when we're talking about mental health stuff um, and IEP testing. And, um, and so it really... It, you know, the list goes on and on about why we need new facilities. Um, and I understand the argument that um, how did they get this bad? I get it. Like, well, there's it, lots of the, questions. It's not, I mean, the issue, the, 
the lack issue of is that's happening across um, the community, but I think we sort of need to move forward in a positive way. I agree, and, and I think the issue is that sometimes gets left out is, you know, facilities have life cycles. A roof, we yep. put we put roofs on the buildings that had uh, a ten or twenty year life cycle. So in ten or twenty years, you got to put another roof on it, and a yep. boiler has a thirty five or forty year if you take care of it and in it all everything was installed right. But not everything lasts forever. So so schools that were built in 1954 and 57 are going to need to be replaced. Uh, right. You know, here it is almost 2020. Uh, schools that were 40, East Gloucester, West Parish, were 48 and 49. You replaced West Parish, East Gloucester can't be that far behind, right? They're only a yeah. year apart. Yep, and I do, you know, I think that um, we also need to focus on the fact that the longer this project takes, the longer um, the next project will take. We have two other schools um, whose trailers, you know, Beeman's trailers are a mess. They're way past their life life cycle. And so I think um, we have to remember that there are two other schools that are still waiting in the wings. Um, and, you know, what is it going to be like for, for that group of kids who are going to have even less resources um, over the years? And how are we going to make sure that we maintain that school for the next few years to make sure that, you know, the ceilings are literally not falling down around them. Great. Um, I need to. I do think. I, I think we need to also focus on, you know, not necessarily just the site. How I would like people to start asking questions about, you know, veterans in East Gloucester are very different school communities. So what are we going to do to make sure that that integration is seamless and positive? Um, I, I don't think it's going to be a huge issue. The administrators at both of those schools are great. Um, I think that they. Um, we'll make sure that it feels like a, a very seamless transition. But I, I want people to focus on the bigger issues um, and the bigger questions that are more important than than just the site. Great. And I think that those conversations have been lacking. Super. I want to thank you for being a guest on Trending Now with Josh Arnold. We certainly wish you the greatest success uh, in your bid to be on the Gloucester School Committee. And you certainly raised a lot of really good issues today. Uh, and I hope that those uh, get heard uh, throughout the city uh, as your campaign continues. Thank you so much, Josh. I appreciate it. Take care. Bye. All righty, then. That takes care of uh, Wednesday. And um, what's on the uh, on the slate for tomorrow? Tomorrow we have, let's see, we have Tim Flaherty, who's on the city council uh, in Beverly, uh, seeking re-election. Uh, Paul Guanci, who was to be a guest today, uh, it had a, it was called into a last-minute meeting, uh, uh, will be a guest tomorrow. Uh, uh, as will Kathy Clancy, who is the vice chairwoman of the Gloucester School Committee. So I think we'll get some more, uh, some more thoughts about uh, uh, the school, uh, new school process. Uh, and then uh, we, on November 1st, we have uh, uh, Laura Weissen, a candidate for Gloucester School Committee, and uh, Lynn candidate, uh, city council candidate, uh, Natasha Maggie Madry will be one of our guests. All right. Okay, so we'll have a program tomorrow, 10 a.m. here on MSO News Sports, and then um, we will not have a program on Friday, and we'll be back the following Friday. So there you go. On behalf of Josh Arnold, our producer and engineer, Bill Proposki, I'm Rick Moore. Don't forget, we do have a football game coming up, a big one on Friday night, Marblehead at Danvers, 7 o'clock start. With MSO News Sports, I'm Rick Moore. This is MSONewsports.com. You've been listening to Trending Now with Josh Arnold.